Hello, my name is Dr. Srinal Patel, and I'm a medical director at Skipta. Today, we will be discussing post-surgical treatment in high-risk bladder cancer patients. Dr. Matthew Galski is a professor of medicine and director of genitourinary medical oncology at the Tisch Cancer Institute, Mount Sinai School of Medicine. Dr. Galski's research focuses on the clinical development of novel therapies for bladder cancer, dissecting the clinical basis for heterogeneity in patient outcomes and understanding the disconnect between efficacy and effectiveness of available treatments. His current research extends these efforts to team science-based approaches focused on dissecting the mechanistic underpinning of response and resistance to novel bladder cancer therapies with a particular focus on immunotherapeutic approaches. Dr. Galskis has graciously agreed to help answer some frequently asked questions about post-surgical treatment in high-risk bladder cancer patients. Dr. Galski, thank you so much for joining us today. I'd like to start by asking you, what are some of the factors that make bladder cancer patients high-risk? So in, in patients with muscle-invasive bladder cancer who have received prior neoadjuvant chemotherapy, a pathological stage of T2 or higher, or pathological lymph node involvement is considered high risk. And then in patients who haven't received neoadjuvant chemotherapy, potentially because they're cisplatin ineligible, a pathological T3 or higher tumor or pathological node positive disease is considered high risk. Thank you. And what are the probability or statistics of bladder cancer reoccurrence post-radical resection? Well, in patients with these high-risk features, unfortunately, approximately 62% of patients at two years and approximately 66% of patients at three years will develop recurrence. When determining post-surgery treatment based on available data, how does consistent, durable DFS compare with OS? For example, is 31.6-month DFS data significant since post-two-year timeframe is when patients would have disease reoccurrence? Yes, as you point out, the vast majority of patients with muscle-invasive bladder cancer after surgery who have recurrence have those recurrences within two to three years of surgery. We also know based on the results of Checkmate 274 that not only this primary endpoint of disease-free survival showed a benefit with adjuvant nivolumab, but there was a benefit across multiple secondary endpoints as well. All of those really go in the same direction and support uh, this uh, two-year disease-free survival benefit with adjuvant nivolumab. Perfect. Dr. Galski, in your opinion, is disease-free survival data sufficient to inform the use of nivolumab in high-risk bladder cancer patients until OS data becomes available? Overall survival is a secondary endpoint of Checkmate 274 and is an event-driven analysis, so we haven't th seen those results yet. Um, however, prior retrospective studies have shown a very strong correlation between two and three-year disease-free survival in uh, patients with muscle-invasive bladder cancer and overall survival. Um, and so that coupled with the effect size and the consistency of effect across endpoints uh, does support that disease-free survival is sufficient. 
And can you share high-level results for Checkmate 274 and do the results from the clinical trial match what you're seeing in the real world? So in the Checkmate 274 study, and now we have extended follow-up, so we have a, a medium of about three years of follow-up from the study, nivolumab continued to show an improvement in disease-free survival, non-urothelial tract recurrence-free survival, and distant metastases-free survival versus placebo. Um, in the intent to treat population, the median disease-free survival with nivolumab uh, was doubled compared to that with placebo. And in patients with tumors harboring high levels of pd one expression, the disease-free survival with adjuvant nivolumab was more than five times the median uh, disease-free survival with placebo. Um, and, you know, these effects ha have really um, been quite consistent uh, over time with longer follow-up. It, it's difficult at this time to say if these results line up with what we're seeing in real-world practice because in patients in the adjuvant setting, of course, there's nothing to measure except the test of time. Um, and so ultimately with larger patient populations and, and longer follow-up, uh, we'll see if we're seeing similar outcomes to that achieved in the clinical trials. That said, of course, there's new technology like circulating tumor DNA that's been integrated into clinical practice. And we do see patients who have clearance of ctDNA in the adjuvant setting on nivolumab, uh, really reinforcing the potential treatment uh, benefit in the adjuvant setting. Thank you so much, Dr. Galski, for sharing your insights on post-surgical treatment in patients with high-risk bladder cancer. This was a very helpful discussion on how to use available data and real-world evidence in clinical treatment. Thank you so much for joining us today. I know everyone appreciates it. Thank you. Thank you.